Welcome, another episode of Dr. James Beckett Sports Card Insights here with Rich Klein. We're going to talk about 84 Donruss baseball. An amazing set was huge back in the day and actually has had pretty good, pretty good legs, actually. Uh, thanks to sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Upper Deck, Panini, and Tops. Uh, Donruss is no more as a company, but it lives on as a brand. But it, 84 Donruss, one of, one of Donruss's uh, proudest moments. Was it their peak? It was their peak in terms of hobby interest. I mean, everybody exploded after that, but 84 Donruss, I think, really put them on the map in terms of the hobby. 81, 82, 83 Donruss, not very exciting. 84, exciting. 81 was a little bit exciting. Just, just because it was brand it new. It was brand new. But it was, they were so thin. They, and they and were poorly and, and they were and, and poorly centered, center, but also poorly distributed in the packs. Right. You could get eleven cards of the same guy. Of the, <laughs> well, they stuck together. <laughs> gotcha. They were I mean, they're hard to, to hard to hard to go through. You know, in eighty one, if you got the fifteen Tim Rain rookies out of out of your box, yeah. you're a very happy okay. person. If you got the fifteen Bombo Riveras out of your pack, you're like thinking, this isn't what I really want. And, but eighty four, if you were to get a bunch of, if you get more than one Don Mattingly yeah. in a in a, I mean, Don Mattingly was the card. And it was the card for a number of years. And actually, at the beginning of the year, it's not Mattingly, it's Strawberry. Well, And then as point. the year goes on, it becomes Mattingly, because right. Mattingly explodes on the scene. He wins the batting title on that dramatic last day of the season where he and Winfield walk off the field together. They finish 1-2 in the batting race. And it's a great photo. It's the best of the three card company photos of Mattingly. It's a full-color photo, you know, full, full facial shot. Beautiful design. It's really the full-color shot on the card of everybody. And the photography, the card stock, everything about 84 Donruss just worked. And it was, uh, they're very autographable, very I think, because they were, they were not matte finished, but they weren't slick and glossy to word uh, slip and slide. What... Uh, do you remember back in the day with you know the because you mentioned the strawberry strawberry had an 83 tops traded did that you're saying at the beginning of the year when 84 donors came out your perception was that strawberry even having had a tops extended card the year before was still in greater demand than Mattingly. Right. At the very beginning of the year, yes, mm-hmm. because Mattingly wasn't really a super regular in 83. Yeah. Strawberry was the rookie of the year in the National League. Yeah. <laughs> so excuse me. And so I think Ron Kittle was the American League Rookie of the Year in 83, so Mattingly just had a nice year, but Kittle was the, you know, the guy who had the 83 rookie explosion. Yeah. Mattingly, yeah, would he hit 290, 285, 290, maybe 10, 15 homers, didn't play every day. You know, 84, he hits 351 with the 30 homers, yeah. the 100 RBIs or whatever the total is, and card number 248 by the end of the season yeah. is the key was card. Was the card, yeah. Was the card. Yeah. You know, and his tops card is like number eight, and the Fleer card may even be considered underrated compared. It's not that easy to get the Fleer card. No, Fleer's tough as well, but Donruss was was. It went from tops, and then Donruss and Fleer being kind of in the next tier. It flipped in '84, kind of. If, and, the, and I think partially it was the card design was so beautiful, and and plus there were. Donruss got it really right in 84. It's the first year where the rated rookies were on the front of the card. Right. So that you, all of a sudden, you, there was an acceptance. Let off the set. Let yeah. off the set. The Diamond Kings, the beautiful paintings by Dick Perez. So your first 50 cards are already in demand, and then you get to the good players. And there were some variations. They didn't put the number on Ron Darling and Mike Stenhouse. And, and also the insert card of the, the A and B card. The A and B's, yeah. You know, Bench and... Uh, Perry. Perry and Yaz. I think Bench yeah. and Yaz are one. And, and Perry and... Fingers. Fingers, yeah, or on B. 
And it's just cool. So there's some errors. There's and some they weren't included in the in the factory set. No. Which I was just uh, kind of think back about that. Um, but again, if you got a factory set, all you'd be thinking about nowadays would be just how perfectly centered is the matting leaf. Right. And you didn't open it. They all came in the 55-card bricks. Yeah. You know, so you don't know what the matting leaf looks right. like unless you open it. Because it's in the middle of the brick. And if, it's, and if you open it, you've taken away from the unopened factory set. So yeah. it's an interesting, you know, 82, the first year Donruss did factory sets, they're not sealed. They're not, right. nothing is really sealed. And I remember the late Bruce Painter sent me a case of 82 Donner's factory sets to give away at one of our dot shows. And I had seen somebody do this at Jerry Adamic's table, looking in an 82 Donner set, checking for the Ripken. So what I did for every set is we, I took my friend Raymond Jones oh, up to the office. Yeah. We went through the sets. He went through the sets, actually. I think I was working. And uh, I went and we pulled out all 15. Top-loaded and the, we top-loaded. The, the, whatever, we put yeah. all 15 Ripken rookies. Right on top. Right on top. Here's your Ripken rookie. We know it's here. And we're not worried because this did not come factory sealed. So I'm perfectly fine doing that. Uh, missing Ripken, and we mentioned this in a, in, a, in a other discussion we had, is that that's a third year Ripken, and but it's is he better or worse than a second year Gwyn or you know because they're uh, or Boggs or something like that? I, My I, guess is maybe he's it, better. He's probably about the same as a second year maybe Gwyn, maybe Gwyn, but better than Boggs. Better than Boggs. And the thing is, the Gwyn card is I can picture it. It's just a beautiful card. Yeah. That full color photo of him. That's the thing. The photos were so yeah. good that everybody's got a different photo they really like in the set. Even now, they, they, even the common cards have, have some interest. Oh, the common cards have a lot of interest, but not as much as, as you, they did in yeah. the 80s. I could wholesale yeah. really back in the day. I wholesaled 84 Donner's Commons at seven cents a piece. No way. Seven, that was, was the perception that they were harder to find? They were the shortest printed of the three major companies? Right. Even though they claimed they printed a lot more than they did in 83, Yeah, the, there was just not available. And you had to really hunt to get eighty four dollars. That's, I I remember that. As I, I'm, you know, eighty four was the start of the was the late eighty four is when the first issue of the baseball magazine, but uh, and that probably was part of it. You know, when you had fresh, when you had a, a Mattingly and you had price movement that was monthly, which you know you turn back the clock a few years, it, the price movement that was monthly was more on the older cards, and even that they had to do something, and if they weren't. If they, if they were retired, but once you had, that was one of the sets that put put the magazine on the map, I guess. Yeah, and do you ever wonder, or did you ever wonder, and I know why you put Clemente and Murphy on the cover of the first issues, so, but did you ever wonder what would have happened if you had put the 84 Donners Don Mattingly on the cover of the first issue instead of Clemente and Murphy? Uh, that'd be interesting, but I don't, and I don't know that that would have been a bad idea, but I think it was inconsistent with me, <laughs> but it would... Um, Again, I, my attempt was to straddle the old and the new. Now looking back, Dale Murphy wasn't so new, but, uh, and he wasn't one of my favorite players, but I thought he was, he was probably riding a, a pretty good wave there he at was, that point. That's he was perhaps he got, the best player in baseball yeah, at the time. Which, and, you know, yeah. and the thing with Dale Murphy, he's a good family man. You yeah, know, he always yeah. had good family yeah. values, and that's something he you always- He wasn't going to embarrass me, maybe. Ex- <laughs> exactly. So that was something you always wanted to promote. Yeah. So. Yeah. That to me, you know, but I, you know, I'm thinking about. But it could have been Clementi and Mattingly, you're saying. Yes, and that would have been. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's. Uh, maybe we should maybe we should look up the Mattingly for that first issue. Would it have been five bucks? I don't. Know. I don't even think it'd be that much. It's just crazy. And grading was not a big deal back in the day. Um, we knew which cards were centered. We looked just, to see what you was know centered. There'd be condition sensitivity, but not yeah. And and of course the Mattingly's been counterfeited. Yeah. And nothing's as condition sensitive. There were like two or three cards that were really condition sensitive in 84 Donruss. 
Joe Carter is notorious for the centering. Okay, centering, yeah. And Bob Horner, there tends to be a lot of the Bob Horners with little creases on them, like little factory creases. We yeah. don't know why. Huh. Where it was on the sheet, or maybe? Or maybe where it was on the sheet, or what happened. I mean, it's not as bad as the 81 Donruss Keith Hernandez, where about 98% of them have factory creases on the card. Yeah, I don't... Uh, you know, I had this discussion with Mr. Mint, with Alan Rosen. You know, you probably... You remember Alan, of course, but he really was be frustrated when we first started grading. He'd say, you know, how can you, you're saying this is not mint, and I just got it out of my find, out of this pack. It was straight out of the pack. I said, well, not, not all cards are, can be warranted as, as mint coming out of the pack uh, for an older pack or a newer pack. Once you open up the pack, then you, you, you're going to evaluate it based on those, those four characteristics. I think we used to figure, at least when BGS started, we'd have some meetings, you know, when you would meet with yeah. the price guy, we figured that the average condition out of the pack in those days was 8.5. Yeah. You know, I thought about when Which I, is near mint to mint. But plus. before I started this podcast, I started, I was contemplating, and I met, you were part of the, obviously a key guy and one of the guys in some of these discussions, but I really was thinking about doing more analytical things, more than, it's gotten to be more narrative and more story, but some of the analytical stuff, one of the things I wanted to look at was the expected condition of a card. For example, if somebody called me up and said, I've got a collection for sale, it's 1953 tops, I've got a complete set. My expectation would be those that I'd be happy if they were fives. And, and if he said, I never played with them, I just got them out of the packs, I had them when I was a kid, I set them aside, I still would think they'd be fives. If they were Gowdies, I would think they'd be fours. If they were 71 tops baseball, I would think they're sevens at best. Six sixes? Six maybe, because of the black borders. And yet, if they were tops finest, I would think they'd be nines, you know, things like that. And so, yeah, it, you know, the, the, if the average out of the pack is 8.5, that's... Uh, a few years ago, when they had the industry summit in Dallas, and I took the tour of the printing press, yeah. where Panini makes their cards, and you had told me that it was going to be a really cool thing. So, oh, yeah, yeah. And I was. And who, whichever gentleman it was that did our part of the tour, because I think there were two or three different tours, they were still upset. 20 years later, or 18 years uh -huh. later, they had done something for FLIR. Fleer Authority or something where the cards were graded and they were still upset that the average grade out of the cards were 8.5. Oh. And they were still upset because they wanted their cards to be 9s and 10s because they wanted to be really proud of their cards. And to, that's to their credit at the printing place. So think about it that we as people want to see 9s and 10s. In reality, if we're seeing 8s and 9s, we're probably seeing really good cards. We're seeing really, really good cards. Yes. You know, but if... Uh... Yeah, and it depends on the card stock and all that stuff. That is, it's like uh, if somebody called me up and said, "I've got some OPG cards or something." I think if they're from the '80s or the '70s, they're going to be rough cut. Well, I remember the first probably time, the first time I ever went to Toronto. It was the they just happened to be they walked into one of the stores that weekend. A bunch of '51 Parkhurst on open packs, and they opened a few. No of them. way. Yes, these cards were perfect. I mean, they were perfect out of the pack. I don't know if they were nines or tens. And that's just one of these examples of how you can have really good conditioned wow. older cards. Legitimately, I remember that that weekend. That's rare, though. That, yeah, yeah, that was wow. rare, but that was the talk of the show. That's for sure. Were they? Did they have the wrappers that were the cards themselves? I think so. I didn't see that. I just yeah. heard about the cards coming out. I didn't they, really. The see. cards were wrapped in the in yeah. the in the sheet of the because they're flims. They're uh, you know thin, way thinner stock. Well, Fifty One Parker says that really cool Bill Barucco card. Yeah. Who, who who scores the game winning goal and then perishes in a plane crash right. in the off season. I mean, I, I know we're drifting from 84 Donruss, but 84 Donruss had all those really cool rookie cards. They had the rated rookies, but they had Mattingly. Okay. So 84 Donruss, they, they, they had some great uh, second year slate and third, you know, th like that. But, um, what happened in 85? 
Did they overproduce? Is that they produced because eighty five had an even better slate of. They, of, they produced of, uh, more, but the black order, the cards weren't quite as good stock. It wasn't quite as good. They definitely produced more. But they did the leaf thing too, and that was a should have been uh, that was kind of interesting too. The leaf is eighty five to eighty eight. That was really a cool idea, and they were not drastically different, but enough that you could tell. And yet, eighty four Donruss totally trumped eighty five Donruss. Eighty four Donruss is probably the set of the 80s. classic set. It's the it's the set of the eighties. No disrespect to any other company with the great sets they produced, but 84 Donruss is the Rolls Royce of sets of the 80s. That's a strong compliment, Rich. I'm, I like to think about that. If it's, if it's just baseball, uh, the top sets were not, uh, there was no one top set that, that really stood and out. There's no, Fleer, Fleer is nice, but there's no one. 84 would be maybe the top Fleer set, too. Right. And 84 Donruss is better than 84 Fleers. Yeah. yeah. And well, there were extended sets, you know, and traded well, sets right. and rookie sets and things, but still, huh? Well, and then, does that mean that uh, Don Mattingly's the card of the decade? It was at the time. It probably still is. I mean, the only other, I mean, in baseball, yes. I mean, obviously, the '86-'7 Fleer Jordan is yeah. the card of the decade for all sports. For all yeah. sports, yeah. And the '84 Mattingly is the baseball card of the decade, even if there are cards that are more expensive today. That card got more people into collecting. They all right, wanted right. that card. Right. Yeah. Um, what about the puzzles while we're at it? You know, it's funny. Puzzles. Was it Snyder or was it? Uh, no, it's not. You're Ted right. Williams it's, it's Snyder in 84. Snyder was in the regular set. And yeah. and then Ted Williams, I think, was in, in the, the Champions or the Champions or something. Yeah. So some, the puzzles, that, 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 I mean, I, I don't. I don't think anybody they're, really they're pack, cares. They're pack stiffeners to me. Yeah. That's what Donruss put in legally to. Make it a non-confectionary. Yes. That's their, their stick of gum. Right. Yeah, I I didn't like those. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of us did. Well, at least they were fitting. Eighty-two Donruss, the puzzle pieces don't fit. Yeah. By eighty-four, at least the puzzle p- pieces are all fitting. Okay, well that's solving the puzzle here. We're done for another episode. Eighty-four Donruss. Uh, if you do uh, run across those, if you've got cards from the eighties uh, and you think, wow, oh, this is not high demand, eighty-four Donruss is uh, is very saleable. So uh, thanks, Rich, for giving us a walk down memory lane for eighty-four Donruss baseball. He's declared it to be the set. The baseball set of the decade, and it's, I don't know anything uh, stronger at this point, so I'm, I'm just going to be in agreement. So thanks, listeners. Be back tomorrow with another episode.